Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm pleased you're with us today. A little later in the show, we're going to have a conversation, a long conversation, in fact, with Bob Berg, who for years was the public face of the young administration here in the city of Detroit. We're going to talk about his long career going from Lansing in the Republican administration of Bill Milliken to Coleman Young's office. And we're going to talk about what it was like to try to front that administration, what it was like to have to answer the questions, the tough criticism that came relentlessly often toward uh, Coleman Young. So you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, Bob Berg is one of the people who knows more about the city of Detroit and Coleman Young during that time than just about uh, anyone else. But up front, uh, a state court of claims judge handed the campaign to legalize marijuana in Michigan a huge blow this week. The judge rejected the MI legalized group's request to place the question on the November ballot. It wants to force state elections officials to count signatures that were collected outside the established 180-day window for gathering the signatures. Now, attorney and MI legalized founder Jeffrey Hank says the campaign is going to take its fight to the Michigan Supreme Court. I want to welcome Jeffrey Hank, who's attorney and chair of MI Legalize, to the show. And with him is uh, Rick Pluta, Capitol Bureau Chief of the Michigan Public Radio Network. Guys, welcome to Detroit Today. Are you there? Uh, yep. There uh, you are. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. Hello. Uh, Jeff, uh, Hank, uh, talk about the struggle to get this on the ballot. It, it, it seems like it's gone on for a very long time, uh, back and forth. Uh, now you're going to have to go to the Supreme Court to, 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 to figure this out. What is, the, what is the issue at the crux of whether uh, voters will be able to, 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 to decide this in November? Well, the good thing about the Court of Claims ruling is it's narrowed the issues down. You know, months ago, if you would have told someone you can petition beyond 180 days in Michigan, they would have told you 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 couldn't. But in fact, that's been the law since 1963. Um, The issue now is no one's disputing that we submitted enough qualified signatures to be placed on the ballot. We're being kept off the ballot because the Board of Canvassers is not counting uh, about 200,000 of our signatures because they were collected beyond uh, more than 180 days. We had about an 11-month total campaign. But they're being denied just on the basis of how they're validated. A 1986 Board of Canvassers policy required us to either get every single person who signed our petition to assign a separate affidavit after the fact or to have clerks validate these uh, signatures, but the problem is uh, it's logistically impossible to send notice, notaries around to 200,000 people and track them down in the state of Michigan and get them to sign an affidavit, which has never never been done before. Right. And we also had the clerks refuse to rebut signatures, and they have no legal duty to do so. So we actually tried to comply with this policy, and by doing that, we actually used the state's own database, the qualified voter file, which says if the law says if you're in the qualified voter file, you're a qualified elector and therefore your signature is valid. And that's what the state law requires the state to actually use to canvass the petitions in the first place. So we used the public version of that database and we gave the Bureau of Election uh, proof on 137,000 of those older signatures and uh, they still won't count them. So that's that's the crux of the issue now. Uh, no one's disputing we have enough signatures. No one's disputing that our petition format was okay and that we filed on time and dotted all our I's and T's. Uh, they're just saying that because we didn't comply with this policy that 
from our perspective and from pretty much everybody's perspective, it's impossible to comply with. They, they won't count the signatures. Yeah. Uh, and what do you figure your prospects are at the Supreme Court? I mean, this is an issue that, that seems to come up pretty frequently these days with initiatory petitions in the state, this question of this 180-day window. What has the Supreme Court said before about this, these kind of issues? Well, the Supreme Court never actually ruled on this issue. In 1986, there was a case called the Consumer's Power case where they upheld the uh, rebuttable presumption itself as to constitutional amendments only. And that overturned a Frank Kelly uh, attorney general opinion, which had declared the rebuttable presumption unconstitutional. The, the Bureau of Elections actually didn't enforce this law for about 13 years, and then in '86 they did. At the time, there was this consumer's power case. There was also a, a push to put the death penalty on the ballot in Michigan. Those right. were politically uh, unpopular issues. And uh, what happened was you had this this process then come up in, in 1986 where they finally started enforcing the rebuttable presumption. So um, no one has ever actually litigated the issue of whether this applies to statutory initiatives. And then our case is different than the, the 86 case because um, – we're not arguing. We are arguing the rebuttable presumption is unconstitutional. But if if the court says it's okay, we say fine. We're okay with that. We we are prepared to rebut. We actually spent a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort, validating our own signatures ahead of time because we we looked at the prevailing wage petition last year, which mm -hmm. was the petition filed with the most bogus signatures ever in the state of Michigan. They had the most fraudulent or inaccurate signatures ever. And we said, we want to be the exact opposite of this. We want to go in there. We know we're going to face some opposition and we want to have everything done right. And we tried for uh, about six months to get the board of canvassers to update this policy and they never did. So we submitted our signatures in good faith, hoping that they would be counted. And uh, the Supreme Court has never really dealt with this particular issue. And there is a, a difference in the Michigan Constitution between how amendments are enacted and statutory initiatives are enacted. And I suspect that's uh, what the uh, court will be looking at. Um, you know, we, we do have the ability to appeal this to the Supreme Court. We're going to be doing that today. And uh, it seems like the kind of case they would be interested in taking. So I, I don't have a crystal ball. A lot of people joke <laughs> around about what's going to happen and all these different theories and sure. everything. I'd, I'd like to think the system will work and we'll get justice. And, yeah. and I just come back to this point of no one is disputing that we submitted enough valid signatures. Yeah. Well, the, the signatures are Go in ahead, it, it would probably be worthwhile to explain what we're talking about when we say rebuttable presumption, mm -hmm. um, which is also going to be our band name when uh, Jake Near, your <laughs> producer, and I hit the road. Um, um, the rebuttable presumption is that when you turn in signatures that are more than 180 days old, they are presumed to be stale. The idea is you yeah. want to make sure that you're only counting signatures of currently registered voters. And but that assumption is, quote, rebuttable, that you can prove it. And, and what Jeff said is absolutely correct, that that it's been this this, you know, basically impossible to attain process where you have to go and get affidavits on every signature from local clerks who are not required to do it, that 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 they they, they may or may not do it. And what the um, MI legalized campaign is saying, well, hey, really? it's pretty easy to prove that someone is still a voter because we've got an electronic database and you can just run the names through and see if they're still there. And a state elections board, the board of state canvassers, two Republicans, two Democrats said, but we're not going to do that. And so that's why MI Legalize is where it's at today, heading to the, to the state Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Hank, talk about the prospects of this 
this ballot question, uh, should it get on the November ballot? What is your what is your work? What is your polling and research tell you about how uh, how eager Michiganders are to to embrace uh, to embrace this? Well, we feel very good about it, and we like to joke around that we're, we'd actually be the most popular thing on the ballot this year. We'd be more popular than Hillary Clinton or <laughs> Donald Trump, and the polling shows that. It obviously depends on how you ask the question, but the standard, do you support legalizing marijuana question in Michigan, a lot of the polls have it at you know, 55 56%. When we phrase it as, do you support legalizing marijuana in Michigan, knowing that it's going to put hundreds of millions of dollars, or it's intended to, into roads and schools? We jump up into the into the sixty, you know, sixty five percent range. So, you know, we think we're going to make it if we were on the ballot, and that's the that's the most frustrating thing about this. We, you know, we have it's a nonpartisan issue. We get support from all sorts of people, and I, I want to jump back real quick though to this last this last thing about rebutting these signatures. So, if we if we try to get the clerks to do this, for I'll use Ingham County for an example. We would have to have sent our original petitions to the clerks to verify these signatures. So if I have a petition from Ingham County and it has a voter from East Lansing, from Lansing, from Meridian Township, from Williamston, from Delhi Township, I have to send that same signal, single original petition sheet to each one of those clerks to have them validate that Figure signature. That out. I yeah. mean, you think how absurd and bizarre that is when the state law created this qualified voter file, particularly to manage elections for this reason. And we just, you know, we said, hey, the state law requires the, you to use this in the first place. We're going to use the public version of it. And we gave the proof that, that the people are in there. So it's frustrating from our perspective because we, we do believe it's so popular. We do believe it would pass this um, you know, being in litigation and the uncertainty obviously hurts our campaign, you know, where people aren't willing to give us money and put in the, the work and the effort to go uh, canvas and get out the vote. But we still think if we were to be put on the on the ballot that we would win even without having to run the, a substantial campaign. Okay. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Jeffrey Hank. He's an attorney and chair of MI Legalize. Uh, and Rick Pluter, the Capitol Bureau Chief of the Michigan Public Radio Network. We are talking uh, about a state court of claims judge uh, decision to to keep uh, the MI legalized groups request to place the question of marijuana legalization on the ballot here in Michigan in November. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Uh, do you think that the courts are being unfair uh, to this particular petition drive and others by enforcing this 180 day uh, signature window that seems to come up uh, over and over again? And, and, and do you think pot should be legal in Michigan? Do you want to be able to vote on this issue in November and, and make that decision? 313 313- 577-1019 is the number, 313-577-1019. Rick Pluta, what are the, what are the prospects that uh, the legislature will, will start looking at this petition process? I mean, as I said, this, this has come up a couple times, this 180-day well, window. The, the, the legislature has looked at the uh, petition process and passed a law saying that future uh, petitions, that it's not just a rule anymore. They passed right. a law. A enshrining the 180-day rule. It's probably worth noting that that this uh, controversy over marijuana and the 180-day rule is also wrapped up 
in the anti-fracking ballot campaign. They've also gone to court saying that, look, the way that this is set up and because the state constitution doesn't have anything about a 180-day rule, we have the period laid out in the state constitution, which is the period between gubernatorial elections to gather signatures. And if that were the case, then marijuana would be on the ballot, anti-fracking would be on the ballot, and there are a lot of business groups that are, the, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce in particular, that are opposed to the uh, anti-fracking initiative. And so uh, the law was passed in, in, in many respects to keep that off the ballot, and, and this is kind of caught up in that. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, Jeff, Hank, you know, if, you'd, if you're not successful, uh, what, what's your what's your next move here? I mean, uh, obviously, you could take another shot in another year, uh, 2018. Uh, is that is that an amenable sort of fix for you to this? Well, the, yes and no. I mean, we have a plan B. We would continue on. This issue is not going to go away. We've we've built quite an organization, and it's a it's a real grassroots group. You know, no no pun intended. And and that's why a lot of people say, well, why can't you make it 180 days? Well, because we're not the Chamber of Commerce, or we're not a labor <laughs> group. We don't have someone who's going to give us a million dollars up front. We're we're normal people. You know, who work full time jobs and go out and petition for a couple hours. Yeah, a meeting. That's, there's a that's lot how of, it's meant to be. There's a lot of I think misunderstanding about how hard it is if you are not a big organization with a lot of money to collect these signatures. I mean, it is really difficult. Uh, it's really difficult work. And that 180-day window sounds like a long time, but it, but it really isn't. Uh, the, the, the practical reality is that, um, with, with one notable exception, if uh, you don't hire people, if you don't pay a firm to so gather signatures, signatures then you won't succeed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we're, we're going to continue on, Stephen. We're going to litigate this as far as we can go. We think we have an excellent case. It's it's rare that you would actually get to the U.S. Supreme Court, but if we were to be denied by the Michigan Supreme Court, we will appeal You'd go to the there. U.S. Supreme yeah. Court. A absolutely. It's, it's a great election law, First Amendment case. And so we're going to continue to fight, even if we get, um, you know, bumped off this year's ballot due to litigation delays. We'll we'll seek to be on an 18, and then if that doesn't work, we'll we'll go to Plan B, and we'll be looking at a, a future petition drive. But we hope that, that you know that shouldn't have to happen. You know, we hope that. Um, you know, this issue will be taken seriously, and we'll just all, all we want is for people to be able to get to vote on this. Yeah. And we don't think that's unreasonable, and we think we, we comply with the rules, so that should be the fair outcome. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones here. And again, 313 577 1019. We are talking about the effort to get a marijuana legalization measure on the ballot here in Michigan in November. Uh, do you think that it should be there? Do you want to vote on uh, that question? Uh, do you think pot should be legal here in Michigan, or do you think it should remain? Remain illegal? Are you against the move to legalize uh, marijuana in Michigan? 313-577-1019 is the number. Patrick in Royal Oak, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Thanks yeah. for having me. <laughs> I appreciate the conversation. Uh -huh. um, so first, I just want to say that it should definitely be legal, and it's sad that it's taken this long for us to finally get to the point where where states are starting to legalize, and within a couple of years, it's going to become very apparent that all of the irrational fears are completely unfounded, and that this is a, a safe, something safe that responsible adults should have the option to take. You know, I believe in small government, and that should extend to both what we put in our bodies, and I find it ironic that a lot of the strongest anti-legalization is usually coming from the right, who want to claim small government, but then have no problem to force their morality, their personal views, on to others. Yeah. 
I just yeah. really think that if we can get this legal, eliminate the black market of it, which is where all the realistic danger comes from, you're going to have a much better society. Yeah. Patrick, thanks very much uh, for that call. Jeffrey Hank, uh, I want to I want to ask you to respond to a, a criticism I've heard about marijuana legalization uh, that that we're, we're a little bit with the with the cart in front of the horse in terms of being able to build the infrastructure to deal with uh, legalized uh, marijuana. So, f- for instance, uh, there is not a reliable test yet for uh, drivers. Uh, say uh, a police officer pulls you over, suspects that uh, you have been uh, smoking marijuana. How does how does that officer know? Uh, regulations about workplace uh, behavior and things like that. Uh, do, do you feel like those things can come after? Uh, logically, after the legalization uh, question is is settled, or should we be working on those things first and then voting on whether to legalize? Well, in an ideal world, it would all happen at, at once. But the the thing is, is, particularly with the driving issues, that people are driving under the influence of marijuana right now, and they have been for the That's last true. 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So we have to figure out a way to deal with that. We have ways to deal with that now. We're going to get better ways to deal with that, and technology is improving. That shouldn't hold up the rest of progress. The two the two main criticisms we get that I call legitimate criticisms are the driving under the influence issue, and obviously we don't support that. We put tough penalties in our law to uh, prohibit that. Very similar, actually the same as uh, for drunk driving, and uh, access to minors. And we put tough penalties and tough regulations and labeling and and, and um, uh, container, you know, child safe container kind of regulations in our law in order to get ahead of those things. We've had the benefit of seeing what's happened in Colorado and some of these other states and learning from that. So we like to say that we're kind of version 2.0 where we've, we've, you know, gotten ahead of those, but, but these are ongoing issues. They're not easily solvable issues. The employment issue is, is a big one. Um, and they're not things that we can all fix at once. And I don't want to say, you know, we don't want the perfect to be the enemy of the good. We have so many problems with marijuana policy right now. Everybody, or the poll show, I don't want to say everybody, but the poll show, it's a very high number, I think in the 70-some percent in Michigan, that people don't think people should go to jail for marijuana. Yet we still have those laws on the books. So people don't support people driving under the influence. That's obvious. But that doesn't mean in the meantime we can't stop sending adults to jail for simple marijuana possession. So there's a lot of things we can fix, and that's, that's what our law was intended to do. It wasn't intended to be perfect or solve all the world's problems, but it was intended to move us, you know, 95 out of the 100 steps forward. So um, a lot of those things, Stephen, I think will will have to be continued to work, uh, be worked out. And if our proposal were to be enacted, I, I assume the legislature will enact uh, supplemental legislation as time goes on and we learn better how to, de- uh, to deal with a lot of these things. But yeah. we can't ignore what's currently happening because of, of uh, a couple possible criticisms. And again, all those things that people are worried about right now, whether it's access by minors or driving under the influence, are already happening. Yeah. So they wouldn't be new because we've le- we've legalized marijuana. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Carol in Detroit. Carol, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Uh huh. Go ahead. Well, let me get. You. Okay, I was wondering: um, is is a lot of this related to the pharmaceutical lobby? I mean, I, I see that the fracking has the the gas companies behind it, and oil, and brewing, and home distillery are small entrepreneurs were blocked for years by by the large brewing companies. Is this somehow tied into that? That's, an, that's a really uh, interesting uh, interesting question, Carol. Uh, Jeffrey Hank, wh- wh- what do you suspect is uh, oh, going on Wow. There? 
Yeah, we hear all sorts of stuff, and and you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories, almost if you will, who who may be trying to stop us. Uh, I have not seen direct open opposition from the alcohol industry in Michigan, but we did we did have a run in or two with them because we kept saying that we wanted to be more of a craft beer model. There, there was a push in Michigan to create, you know, maybe 10 big license holders or so that would control all marijuana distribution. And we didn't want to see that. For example, in Colorado, you've had approximately 26,000 people licensed to participate in, in cannabis occupations. We have about twice the population. So we, we could, we foresee 40 to 50,000 people participating in the cannabis economy. And that's wow. what we want to have happen. We want to decentralize and, and, and spread the economic benefit rather than concentrate in the hands of a few. So we are wary that, you know, certain groups could try to um, throw a monkey wrench in the process in order to sort of have, you know, uh, a monopoly or oligarchy, if you will, for themselves. But we haven't really seen up front the, uh, the alcohol industry. There was an interesting Washington Post article about a week ago, or a, week, a couple weeks ago, analyzing medical marijuana states and showing that in medical marijuana states, uh, prescriptions for certain medications uh, were were a lot less, and uh, even opiate use was a lot less. So there's some theories that uh, access to medical marijuana, for example, may actually um, uh, cut down or mitigate people using certain pharmaceuticals. So that could be a concern in the pharmaceutical industry, but in terms of have we actually seen that kind of uh, opposition here? If, no, if it's happening, it's it's behind the scenes, and I I don't know about it. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Brian in Detroit. Brian, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are you? All right. I'm not really pro-marijuana because I really hate the smell of it, but <laughs> yeah. the uh, anti-First Amendment by the Republican Party would really always tease me off how they create all these laws to uh, keep people from voting, keep people from performing, you know, their constitutional right to be Americans. And they just just that's the main thing that uh, with the party that does it. Yeah. So, Brian, if it uh, if this were on the ballot in November, you would vote no. Um, I would vote no just yeah. because I live in an apartment and that odor just travels through the apartment. <laughs> I mean, when you drink a beer, you can't smell it in other apartments. But if you smoke <laughs> weed, it, it is a different. It everywhere. is a it is a different kind of dynamic. Yeah, exactly. Although it begs the question, how would um, that interact with the um, state's ban on indoor smoking? at uh, workplaces right right that's right i mean it's one of the that's uh, again one of the sort of unanswered regulatory questions that that surround this that i think uh, it would take us some time <clears throat> if this were to get on the ballot and pass to to sort of sort out brian thanks very much uh, for your call uh let's go to kc and clinton township Welcome hey to good right morning today. guys hey, how are you yeah, good. I've got a, a economic and an agricultural question on the legalizing of marijuana. First of all, uh, does that also mean, in the sense of agri- agriculture, that we could uh, benefit from the the hemp products? Um, in the sense of you know yes. having a large outdoor farms and uh, benefit from you know hemp products being legalized because obviously in the a smoking and a you know medicinal marijuana form, it's limited. Uh, what would that bring in for the schools and for the uh, the roads, especially? Because I know they've used hemp seeds in Indiana a long time ago to keep the roads from crumbling. So, uh, but also with the, the economics, I'm a truck driver. I've got a ta- past drug test. I've actually got a lower blood alcohol level than most drivers. I've got to go through random drug tests and everything. What's the impact on the 
people that have to be drug tested, uh, shouldn't their wages uh, increase if they have to pass more rigorous drug tests now that, you know, this is legalized and they could be again, uh, victims of secondhand smoke? Yeah, KC, again, the, the, the regulatory environment for this is something that I think uh, is still somewhat somewhat murky. Uh, Jeffrey Hank, uh, uh, go ahead and respond to what Casey's talking about. Yeah, so the first part of that, our, our initiative does legalize industrial hemp. That was one of the sort of the three pillars. It was to legalize marijuana for adults over the age of 21 to improve and um, preserve safe access for medical marijuana and improve upon the sort of shortcomings of the Medical Marijuana Act, and then was to provide for the farming of industrial hemp. And there are uh, plenty of jobs and economic benefits that come along with that. That's that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to put Michigan farmers uh, to work and have them the, the ability to grow that crop. We, we import most of our, our hemp uh, from Canada and China, although that's that may be changing as we're seeing states start to embrace this. But there is tremendous potential there. We used to grow it all across the United States, and Michigan has a, you know, that that potential to to be in that sort of green economy, if you will. So that's definitely something we're trying to promote, and we try to uh, really communicate that to people that this proposal isn't just about marijuana and getting high or whatever. We try to design this as a social justice measure, as an economic measure you know, as uh, something that people in the state of Michigan in general would support because it creates jobs and it solves, you know, it helps improve community police relations. Uh, as to the second part of that question with the with the drug testing and, and uh, workplace, that's the kind of stuff, like Stephen, you said, is going to have to be worked out. In fact, that was, when I talked to the Chamber of Commerce, that was one of their biggest concerns. And it's not something that we can solve. You can see, you just saw Washington, D.C., I believe, banned uh, drug testing for marijuana. Um, personally, I think that, uh, I don't have a problem with that except for certain occupations, you know, like, uh, I was on the Michael Patrick Shields show this morning and talked about airline pilots. Well, yeah, airline yeah. pilots and people like that, you know, obviously ought to need to be sober and you know, people who operate like, the heavy equipment people who drive trucks, yeah. people who, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that you don't, uh, want to imagine people, uh, you know, smoking marijuana while they're doing, right? Right. Or drinking alcohol or taking prescription Same drugs thing. or whatever. Right. I mean, you have to be, yeah, you have to, we have to, and, and part of our, our discussion with this, and the, you know, the worst, maybe one of the worst aspects of us being keep, kept off the ballot right now is that we're not having these conversations enough. That was one of our goals was to have these conversations in society, because what, what we like to say is we have to get to the, to the culture of personal responsibility. We want freedom, but you have to have personal responsibility. They do go hand in hand. And uh, that's something that maybe, you know, we're not talking about enough these days. So yeah. that that needs to always be on uh, everybody's mind when, when discussing these things, that we don't encourage, you know, uh, anybody to be operating under the influence or anything like that. You know, you have to be responsible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jeffrey Hank, attorney and chair of uh, MI Legalized, Rick Pluta, Capitol Bureau Chief at the Michigan Public Radio Network. Thanks for being here. Uh, Jeffrey, you're going right from here to go uh, make your filing at the Supreme Court, correct? Within a couple minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we'll see how that all turns out. I really appreciate your being here on Detroit Today. Uh, Up next, we're going to talk to Coleman Young's former press secretary about his long and storied career and about the relationship between Coleman Young and the media, Coleman Young and the suburbs. This is a guy who had a front row seat to all of it. Bob Berg joins us next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. (laughs) 